Next on Rugby Wrap-Up in a very special Murphy Kennedy Group Community Corner segment, Bajra Knight, Alicia Washington, and Nia Tapper offer perspective on being a black woman and rugby player in America. Rugby Wrap-Up brought to you in part by The Pig and Whistle, the world's best rugby pub. The Murphy Kennedy Group, founded with the idea that construction can be done better. And Lean and Limber, stretching your way to a healthier lifestyle. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Rugby Wrap-Up. Matt McCarthy here in Midtown Manhattan for a very special Murphy Kennedy Group Community Corner segment. Last week, we had David Flemister, Derek Lipscomb, and Lawrence Blaber Jr., three black rugby players offering insight, re-racism, and how they've had to deal with it in and away from rugby in the United States. Today, we get the perspective from three prominent black women on the American rugby landscape. Phaedra Knight, Alicia Washington, and Naya Tapper are here, along with Mr. Stephen Lewis to help navigate this. As you know, Stephen is the two-time and still reigning USA Rugby Coach of the Year. Thank you to the pandemic. He is the head of the Jamaica Sevens program, both women and men. He is interim GM of Rugby United New York, and he is a champion of all peoples. Ladies, let me go through your bios quickly. Phaedra Knight, you are recently a USA Rugby Board of Director, World Rugby Hall of Famer. After a stellar career that featured playing in three Rugby World Cups and almost a fourth that I think you should have been in from 1999 through 2017. You are an entrepreneur. You were player of the decade as one of your accolades. You are from a very rural southern town, Irwinton, Georgia, with a population of something like 600 people. Uh, from there, you went to Alabama State before heading to the University of Wisconsin to study law and play rugby, I believe, for the first time. Culture shock on all levels. You and I are longtime members of the family. That is the New York Rugby Club. You are Eagle number 99 and will be Agent number 99 in the movie that Martin Pengelly and I are writing, Rugby Spy, the story of a man named Lizard. Alicia Washington from Hamden, Connecticut, University of Connecticut, go Huskies, Eagle number 237, field hockey and track and field star before converting to rugby. USA under 20s, 2009-2011, Collegiate All-American 15s, 2011-2012, Rugby World Cup 2017, and a fellow member of that New York Rugby Club family. That yes. doesn't mean that Naya Tapper, however, cannot be member of that New York Rugby Club <laughs> family. Eagle number 250 out of Beaufort, South Carolina, a very small town. After growing up as a military brat, a graduate of West Mecklenburg High School in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you're also a graduate from the University of North Carolina, go Tar Heels. For USA Rugby, a member of the 2017 World Cup team in 15s and the USA Rugby World Cup Sevens team in 2018. You are a bona fide superstar on the Sevens circuit, and you are now officially an honorable mention family member of the New York Rugby Club. This is going to be a somewhat of an awkward conversation that Stephen will help me navigate uh, a little bit better uh, as we have issues in the country. And we, as we discussed some of them in the show last week, I thought it was important 
at least to lend you guys a platform to speak about certain things. And Phaedra, since you're the one that's been in the rugby space the longest out of the, this crew, uh, I, I wanted to talk to you first and see what you thought about in terms of when you started playing to present day, changes in racism, is it better, is it worse? What is your perspective? Well, my perspective through my lens is when I first started playing rugby at the University of Wisconsin, they immediately put me at the wing, not because I was fast, but they just wanted me to watch. And I have to give credit to Lisa Real because I ended up making my way into the centers. That was my first position. And that's actually where I was aspiring to uh, play um, when I was trying out for the Eagles. Um, it wasn't until then that I got moved to prop. And so uh, credit to Lisa Real because she saw, had a vision of me playing in the centers at the highest level. Um, it wasn't necessarily at what I think most, uh, or a lot of black players um, or where they were put, right? They're either put in the pack where they have to do a ton of work um, or they're put on the wing where they're, you know, stereotypically, you know, expected to sort of fly. And so, um, you know, I had a really good experience, I think, initially going from a, a predominantly black environment at Alabama State University um, to the University of Wisconsin, which was 1% black um, during the time I was there. It was pretty stark, you know, and so I, I was welcome into this group of women um, you know, very diverse in terms of, uh, well, there wasn't necessarily racial diversity, but in terms of thought, in terms of sexuality, um, in terms of religion, it was just a mix. And so my experience, at least in the women's, in, the, in that club and within the women's circle of rugby was actually quite pleasant. Coming from a place like Irwinton, Georgia, where I feel like it's a hotbed. So I'm quite sensitive to racism and I didn't feel that way. Now, you know, obviously everyone has their own biases, but I was treated with the utmost respect. Um, and maybe it was because I was a, a good athlete, but I think I would tend to think that with at least my club, it was genuine, right? Every person on that, that team was just genuine. I never, ever had the slightest. And those people that are on that club even now are some of the loudest voices um, in, in this, you know, racial equity fight. And so I had a great experience. Now, did that necessarily translate um, into my on-the-pitch experience when it came to referees, particularly white male referees? And I experienced it up until, I won't say the end of my career, because 2017, it was a different, it's a different dynamic, a different game. And, you know, we know how pervasive racism is. And so maybe not from a ref's perspective, and maybe I didn't experience it because, I, you know, it just, it just didn't impact me at that point. But I heard numerous experiences from fellow teammates. But in the, I was in the thick of it in the prime of my career, you know, between 1997 when I started playing, um, probably up until 2014. Yeah. And I, I know, right, or have, I'm acquainted with some of the psychology behind you know, how white folks think. Uh, again, I'm, uh, I grew up in it. I've heard it. I've been called the N-word numerous times. And so... I do, I have some acquaintance with that. And when it happens over and over again, 
And, and when you have a referee telling you also on the pitch or penalizing you or sin bending you when you just step on the pitch because of something that a, the other black girl on the field did, she had maybe repeated infringements, you step on, it's a case of mistaken identity or really isn't, right? If you want to call it racism, I guess it's some, you could call it systemic racism I've experienced um, when I, in my role as a board member. Take a look at your USA Rugby Board of Directors, okay? In the history of the organization, there have been two black uh, directors, one in the previous iteration of the board, and that was Danita Knox, and one in the present or actually the, the second iteration of the board. Now it's changing over again, obviously with the restructuring. And that was me. And I was elected as an IA. So when you look at independent board of directors over the last decade or two, you know, two, you've had no, you know, outside of the IA world, you've had no black directors. If you've had any black employees in the national office, maybe it's been one or two until there's a change, until there's more diversity, more women, more marginalized people that are at that, at that board level and serving actually in the executive roles in that national office, we are, we are just drastically undercutting ourselves. And I don't care how much restructuring we do, if we don't take diversity, equity, and inclusion as a priority, we're going to continue to fail. So in, in essence, when you started playing, the racism for you on the pitch was basically from the referees and yeah. cut to present day in a certain way. It hasn't changed a lot in terms of what you've seen personally, except the lack of inclusion, so to speak yeah. in yeah. certain levels, specifically in the administrative levels. Well, just so, hearing, right. Like from my experience, yes. So, Alicia, you've had a bit of a different perspective. You grew up in Hamden, Connecticut. You went to the University of Connecticut. You were a track and field and uh, field hockey star before taking up rugby at 17, right? Is that correct? Uh, yeah, and I'll add I did gymnastics for seven or eight years in there as well. <laughs> then Girl, I got too big. Gymnastics as well, yeah. yeah. That, <laughs> that's, that's a pretty broad background. But, you know, you and I, we spoke a little bit off camera. And you told me of your first experience with racism. Can you share that with us? Yeah, um, you know, poor little uh, second grade me, like, you know, just fell in love with this boy <laughs> in school. And uh, then he wouldn't told me, he told me that he wouldn't date me because I was black. And, uh, you know, my little seven or eight year old heart was just like absolutely broken. Um, and I went home, you know, crying, told my mom and I like, you know, she was ready to go down to the school and I was like, no, that'd be so embarrassing. But like, I guess in hindsight, it would have led to a lot of education maybe. I don't know. Maybe they, they would have said, oh, he didn't say that or, you know, it wasn't meant to be heard that way, yada, yada. Um, you know, a lot of the gaslighting that we experience at all different levels of being told, well, you didn't hear what you actually heard, which is definitely you know, what we hear a lot as both women um, and women of color. So yeah, still, still remember that day as if it were yesterday, like just sobbed all day and realized that I didn't realize I was different until that point. And it was a very uh, largely majority white school. So like my brother and I were the diversity essentially. And then, yeah, didn't really notice it until that. Have you seen progress? Have you seen regression in your space? Um, 
I would say with that boy from what I saw on Facebook, <laughs> no, <laughs> he's still, still he's the still same. That boy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, in terms of like my own spaces, uh, I mean, yeah, I definitely surround myself with great people that are open-minded or at least willing to be open-minded um, and willing to educate themselves, especially within rugby. I find myself avoiding some scenarios to be, to not be let down. Um, so, you know, there's always usually like before, like pregame, whether it's for USA or for um, club, uh, like a pregame uh, soundtrack that everyone's playing. And um, I will always bring my own headphones because uh, the when I hear like the N-word really out loud blasting from the speaker of someone who is white, it really sort of like gets me in a bad headspace. So I'm like, I don't know how you think that you owned that word enough, even if, you know, you're paying for the Spotify, you're paying for whatever it is to blast that word in, and it really just throws me off. So I'll bring my own headphones to avoid scenarios like that. Or, you know, if it's like end of the club season, of course there'll be a social. Um, I don't drink personally, but um, I find myself, once everyone starts getting closer to that two or three drinks, I'll find my own exit because that's when people start to get a little bit uncomfortable um, and they'll start, you know, maybe singing along with the music and saying the N-word themselves or bringing up topics that make me uncomfortable. So I guess I sort of changed my behavior just to make sure that I don't see people that I respect in a different and negative light. Does the N-word bother you when anyone says it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's, it's sort of like, like I have personally, I'm 29 years old, I have never said that word. And I don't think that people need to say it. But I believe that if anyone's going to say it, I think it's more okay for a person of color to say it. And yeah, there might be a double standard there. But I use the example that, so like, uh, um, my wife and I have names for each other. So I might call her, hey, babe, baby, whatever it is. Um, but if someone else were to call my wife, babe or baby, I would have a problem with that, right? So not all words and relationships are accessible to all people. And I think that that's probably the best analogy I can come up with. Because um, yeah, anyone can say the word baby, and, but I don't appreciate it if anyone else says that to my wife. <laughs> um, and I think people can understand that why that makes them uncomfortable. Naya, you've had a different experience and that's the beauty of you three is that you're all from different backgrounds. South Carolina, another small town. You also talked about being a military brat and you had different experiences in high school than you did in college. Can you talk about that? Being a military brat, I was able to be around a lot of different types of people, a lot of different cultures. It was kind of a melting pot um, for most of my life. Um, so I had white friends, Asian friends, black friends, Hispanic friends, all that you can think of. So being able to be around that environment allowed me to have a very open mind growing up. Um, but I was never really immersed into the black culture until I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina. And um, it was amazing. Like I didn't know that um, my people were so beautiful and our culture and our music and our food was amazing and something that people admired. Um, from that situation, I was able to embrace my skin color a lot. I know um, one of the things that I had implanted in my mind before being in North Carolina is, oh, like 
the summer's fun, but I can't wait until the winter for when I'm going to get lighter because the sun's not out as much. So then being around a lot of Black people in North Carolina, they embrace dark skin, they embrace the culture, and they embrace the empowerment of Black people. So being able to have that experience, especially going into the next level of my life, which was at um, UNC, where it was a predominantly white school, going into that environment and having the confidence in who I was, I think it allowed me to be as successful as I am today. Um, the confidence that being around people who empowered me created, not only for my skin color, but as a woman, as a female Black woman in sports. So yeah, I'm very grateful for all the different levels that I went through and how it allowed me to have an open mind. You brought up a, that point about the beach or the okay. season and yeah. becoming lighter. And, and ironically, a very wise man, David Flemister, who was on this show last time, said to me one time, and this was years ago, he said, you know, the irony of racism is that our beaches are filled with people trying to become darker. Yeah. You know, you think about that. It, it's it's a pretty profound statement. Oh, and like the, the, the black fishing that exists in society right now. Like uh, when people saw like, uh, you know, the pictures of celebrities without any makeup on and they, you know, see like the Kardashians and they're like, wait, they're white? And it's like, yes. <laughs> like, yes, they have these bronzer lines and all that. But like, yeah, like they're all white. <laughs> Yeah, the, the, the hypocrisy knows no bounds. It's mm -hmm. it's insane. But we, you know, you guys are well familiar with that. But we have to take a quick break right now. But don't go away. We'll be right back. If you're in New York City and want to watch some great rugby, have some great food, and some great times, go to the world's best rugby pub, The Pig & Whistle, on West 36th Street. And we are back with Phaedra Knight, Alicia Washington, Nia Tapper, and Steve Lewis. Let's talk about the, the main issues that you face individually dealing with racism. Why don't you lead the way, Phaedra? I think education is a prime component both in the, um, or lack thereof, in the spread and um, fueling and strengthening of racism. And it's also education is the solution or one of the solutions to eradicating it. We aren't fed a, a great deal of truth when it comes to history of our country. Um, none of us really. And that's, you know, powers that be um, don't have, or don't, for whatever reasons, whether it's just they're just taking what they were handed, they were inheriting this, or whether they just, just don't have an interest. And I think with the current administration, personally, I think they just absolutely don't have an agenda to promote um, sometimes facts um, and certainly the truth and the things that have happened in our history and through a, a lens of accuracy. So, what do you think of the president saying that he has done? more for black people, arguably, than even Abraham Lincoln? I guess 
I guess actually there is a there's some truth to that, I think, in the sense that he has done so much to adversely impact blacks that it has fired us up so much that we're actually now coming together. Uh, a lot of us, we're, we're fueling, we're educating ourselves. We are inspired. We are motivated. We are just driven. We're organized, take, getting organized. Take, and, and organized. There you go. Killer Mike, shout out, right? Because uh, it's organized, you know, uh, it's mobilized, right? We are ready to go. And let, so let me ask you this. Maybe let, let me ask the three of you this briefly. Do you think protests will end if there is a change in the administration, if Joe Biden wins, for instance? No. Because I think we understand that Joe is Joe, like I know him, uh, <laughs> Vice President Biden Joey. Um, is, <laughs> is a better option. But I think the need to hold all of our elected officials accountable um, Absolutely. It, it needs needs to be number one priority. Yeah. Like we, we like the, the, you know, if he wins, um, it's not like our, uh, like our drive ends on election day or election night, whenever we find out the results, it's, it needs to be continuous. Yeah. I think we're stopping the bleeding, but we aren't healing the sore. Right. And you're right. You've got to hold these politicians feet to the fire. I think you need a reef. I think you need to reform politics. <laughs> you need to reform all three branches of government. You need to reform. America needs a, a complete reformation, in my opinion. And yeah. And so, yeah, Joe will stop the uh, pre vice president. Joe Biden will stop the bleeding. Um, but we got a lot of work to do. And so I, as Alicia said, I don't necessarily think the protest will end. I think that you're going to have a lot of protests probably from the far right contingent and the people that are more pro Trump um, and fall into that or support that ideology. Um, but yeah, I think that these protests need to go on. I think you got to fight this battle from several angles until actual fundamental changes are made. Understood. So Alicia, your head or co-founder of the XV Foundation, uh, we haven't talked about that yet, but you do have experiences that uh, we've spoken about off camera with awkwardness or some kind of uncomfortable stuff when you enter a meeting room, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Why don't you share that with us? Yeah, I mean, we've had, you know, lots of meetings with um, employees in the union, um, you know, pretty high up from the board to the C-suite. Um, and one particular awkward call I think Phaedra was on too was a uh, member, uh, again, pretty high up in the union, um, couldn't commit to supporting diversity and inclusion training um, for the staff. And they have since said that they will uh, do that and engage in that. Um, but that was, you know, three months after the request and, you know, they, they, they just couldn't say it. And it's like, it's 2020. If you can't say that you support diversity, equity and inclusion training for your staff, then what, what are you doing? Um, so it's always, you know, uh, a wonder to me whether, you know, when, when we do get brushed aside, which we don't usually let ourselves because we are, you know, stay pretty persistent. Um, like, are they brushing me to the side because I'm a woman or are they brushing me to the side because I'm black? Um, and if you were to ask them, you know, again, the whole gaslighting thing where it's like, oh, you heard that incorrectly. Like, he didn't mean it that way. Or um, you should go with his intentions and not with his words. Um, you know, sort of stuff like that. It just makes it 
like it I, I love this game you know it's brought me so much and it was probably like you know besides that second grade heartbreak like you know one of the first true loves of my life you know rugby um and but when i look back and see that again the lack of diversity on the board um, lack of diversity within usa rugby especially in the c-suite um the lack of diversity um in coaches and referees uh it it i don't understand it because there's it's such an accessible game if you make it accessible and all you need is a ball and a patch of grass and you have rugby um so when you know i think it's just systemic because it goes from bottom to top where a person shows up to rugby practice and if they're a person of color um like Phaedra mentioned earlier they're either put in the front row to be you know big and strong or put on the wing to be fast and strong um, you know, yeah, Nye is black and an excellent wing, but I, I kind of wonder why more people of color aren't put in decision-making positions. And again, that is, it's systemic because it's from the actual game at all levels to the administration, um, to the C-suite. Like, you, you wonder why there's no black refs or black coaches. It's because the black players were not put in a position to make decisions for the team. So when, you know, like, you know, I can't speak for all wings, but if I only played wing, I'm not sure how confident I would feel to coach a team when there's a scrum, lineouts, you know, plays in the midfield. Like it, it just goes fully up and down the entire game. So I think if you see a black player come to your practice, find out what their skills are besides their athleticism, because they're yeah, likely going to be athletic if they're coming out for a sport, and that's across the board. But invest in their decision making abilities as opposed to just being like, you know what you can do for us? Be fast, as opposed to, hey, let's help you develop your decision-making. And I think that will make a massive difference. Obviously, it will take time, but I think, you know, we got to start somewhere. Naya, it's only fitting that we go to you now because we, we brought up wings. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that as, as an issue? Do you want to play a different position? Do you have a, a difficulty communicating that with the coach, coaches that you've had? If we're talking about the problem with it, I think it's just – the awareness and the accountability um, from coaches to, as Alicia said, look at people not for their color, but for what they could become on the rugby field. So for me, as humbly, I feel like I, the, the wing is a great position for me. Physically, I'm very fast. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of, you are, you are, <laughs> a lot of, Black people on the men's and women's side are very fast. If you look across the sevens board from every country, if there is a black woman of color, if there is a woman of color on their team, she's probably on the wing. Elia Green from Australia. Um, on the England team, you have Deborah yeah, Fleming. Deborah. On the French team, you have a woman of color who is a prop. So a lot of the times you see these black athletes pushed to the ends to where they're supposed to just be physical versus mental. So um, you think like, I remember um, in the past two years wanting to move to the center position. Um, because why can't you be fast and smart? Why can't, why do you only have to be one thing or the other? Um, well, you get to be both if, if you're white. I'll just say that. Are, yeah, but wait, so are we, we are we saying that wings aren't smart? Yeah, we're saying that there's less expected that they need to create that they just need to catch the ball and run. 
So, and um, I think, yeah, and there's a standard that, that you, in order for you, I feel like the, you have to overcome this burden of proof rather than just being put in a position, right? Like Naya, I'm sure you've been told, well, why don't you create on the wing? Let's see how you create from that position. And then maybe we'll consider moving you in. I mean, I don't know if you've heard that. I've certainly heard that. Yeah, but we have plenty of fast, same speed as me, women, white women that um, come in as wing, but quickly are moved inside who maybe have come in two, two years after me. So then it comes to the question of the coaches. The solution is the accountability of the coaches. So Steve, we talked about before how you, that is something that is very prominent, a very quick and unconscious reaction to push black athletes to the edge, to the wings, to the props. So the accountability there is with you being aware of that now, Matt hearing that and being aware that that is something common, what can, what are you going to do from today to make sure that you give the black athletes more of a chance to show that they're more than just fast or more than just strong if you haven't started doing that already. So Steve, what is your thoughts about that on how you can you're now in the hot seat with Naya on he's, he's, he's coaching Jamaica, so he doesn't really have that issue. <laughs> well, I don't know. So, yeah, well, thanks for actually asking me a question. If he's Naya. got a white lineup in Jamaica. He's got some explaining to do. Oh, well, I, think to point, I, think, I think historically you're absolutely right. You've got typecasting, you've got stereotyping, and I think um, someone of color shows up at a practice. I think it's just it was common practice to go, oh, got to be fast and big and strong. You're going there. Um, I think, and I think that's still a great, uh, for a great deal of the rugby community, and I'm not knocking um, the average high school coach or the average um, junior club coach. I think it dissipates when you go higher up. So how do you deal with it? What's the answer? So I think it's about when you, when you don't have players of color playing in um, halfback nine or 10, two things are at play. One is they don't get that they don't get the white advantage part. And the second part is um, they don't get the opportunity, right? So, so opportunity means you can't show up at 27 and learn to be a good scrum half, fly half, right? Any country in the world. So we've got to have opportunity early. You've got to be able to play the game earlier. So I think this being able to play earlier is very important. Um, I, think, I think organizations like Roots Rugby, which uh, some of us are involved with here and Derek Lipscomb, Kyle Granby and Kamani, those guys. So, so what they're trying to do is they're trying to provide that opportunity. They're trying to provide a, a sevens program, potentially 15s, where players of color can play in all those positions. So it's, it's, it's playing early and it's getting the opportunity to play in those positions. You have to have coaches who will give you the opportunity. I think that's the answer. You have to be mindful, you have to be intentional. And I think that's the difference now, I think, hopefully. Um, is that we are, even those of us who are, again, it's going back to general politics here, it's not enough to be non-racist, you have to be anti-racist. So I think now from coaches, you have to be, you have to be more mindful, intentional, and active about it. Naya, you wanted to say something there? What's the minimum age that you think somebody can come in, regardless of color, and play in one of those creator positions? Yeah, I think, I think you've got to be, you've got to be there sort of end of high school, because you got to think in the U.S., a lot of us aren't starting until college. I agree. I agree. And it's, it's tough to, to get the, um, I mean, 
it's tough to get the time, the minutes. You, you have to be in those positions in particular because it's decision-making. You have to have minutes. It's about experience and you have to have the opportunity to play that position for a lo long periods of time in multiple games. Yeah. So the uh, absolutely early, the better. Well, two points I want to make. One, that what you just said, Naya, that most of us don't start playing until college. Well, what is rugby? What is USA rugby and, and, and rugby in general doing for those folks that don't go to college, those black folks that are maybe missed their shot at going to the Olympics, didn't go to college and are just sitting there wasting away. All the pathways are created through venues of college. And let's be honest, like a lot of, there are a lot of talented um, black athletes that could play fly half, that could play center, that could play any position that are just completely being overlooked. The second well, I, thing I, to you, Steve, go ahead. I, I, this might be a little bit uh, of an all encompassing response, but I've been around forever, right? So as David Flemister was talking about last week, he and I have been longtime members of the New York Rugby Club since 1987 together, and he can recall when he was one of two players of color on the New York Rugby Club, and he'd pick one or two from all the other clubs. And that's changed. And I know that the change can't come fast enough, but when I look at the New York Rugby Club roster, for instance, up and down, we have a men's and women's program, and there are more players of color. Not enough, but there are more. And yeah, there are high school absolutely. programs, and there are kids' programs. You've got Play Rugby USA handling stuff in the inner city. Not enough programs like that, to, to answer your question, Pager. But there has been a change, and it's not fast enough, certainly for you guys, because you, you can only go by the scope of time that you've been on this planet, whereas Stephen and I have been on a little bit longer. Go ahead, Naya. Steve talked about the Roots rugby team and how they're creating a place for black players to learn all different positions of rugby. And you talked about um, the, the black guy, correct, from the New York team that was bringing in black people. So what I want you to be aware of is you have black people creating it for ourselves. And we need yeah. you guys, we need white men who are majority of the coaches to be creating it for us. Not saying, oh, well, they're doing it, so now we're we're off the hook. Like we yeah. need you to hold yourself accountable in that aspect. And not and, and Naya to add on to that, not just creating pathways to play. We need the people that are in charge to make room at the table for people of color. We need uh, we need coaches to develop black coaches so that we can actually be in those roles. And here's one that's a really pet, big pet peeve for me: media. Okay, and I'm talking specifically to MLR. How many black people are in, are in broadcast, right? And I'm saying this because it's personally impacted me. How many times have I looked to see that someone who's a white blonde has re who's replaced me? Or and you see it in all sports, right? So it's not just on the playing field. It comes with, you know, and and when was I was told what a few years, a couple of years ago. We're going to use women, right? And this is not race, but we're going to use women on the sidelines. Women have carried rugby in this country. I'm sorry, right? The women's programs, you've got a 91 team that won a World Cup, right? At any rate, you've got, you, you just, you keep running into these walls, whether we're women, and I think it's the intersectionality of being a woman and being black. It's, you know, it, you can't talk about one without the other. But you've got all of these things. You've got the gatekeepers 
who refuse to allow people like us to come in. And so, you know what? We'll just have to, you know, like you said, Naya, we'll have to bring each other in. We'll have to infiltrate, you know, in the way that we can. But, you know, it, it, it's, it's impossible to get there or it's nearly impossible to get there if, if you don't make room, you know? Alicia, yeah. you look like you burst over there. Did you want to say something? <laughs> it's my thinking face. Yeah, I think since um, uh, the murder of George, George Floyd, I've been asked to be on you know, a number of panels, discussions, like lead discussions at work, yada, yada, and, which I think is great. That's absolutely fine. Um, but I guess this might be where it gets a little awkward. So like, at what point would you have invited the three of us to be on this podcast if not for this issue coming up? Well, I, you mean me personally or in general? Yeah. Uh, well, I, I view you as three rugby stars. And, you know, I only do one show a week. So um, I'd probably wait until the season started when you guys were actively playing. You know, when if like Naya was playing sevens or the U.S. women's team was playing 15s. Um, yeah, and I think that's, that's the, the point right there is, you know, there was, there was no time frame. And, and uh, I think that's where the well, accountability it, has to, to come in. To be fair, in, in my defense, <laughs> uh, I will say that I try to just look at the news and do a show that week, mm -hmm. which is not the ideal format for a show. But, mm -hmm. but I'd gladly yeah, have, I, you know, if, right. if I'd gladly have an all women's program once a week. Oh, yeah. If somebody yeah, and could. I, and I think, like, probably in the last six months or something, or I mean, actually in the entirety of my professional career. Uh, if I've ever asked to be on a panel, it's about race. And I appreciate because I think it's very important, but it's also, we are also the three of us experts in so many other things that I just want to put it out there that don't only turn to the black person in your life when you need someone for race. Um, I think part of the anti-racism thing is when you need, you know, whatever it is, line out analysis, scrum analysis, like, like, you know, like it's Nia's a superstar. Like Phaedra's been like playing World Cup since 99. Um, and, and then the phone only rings when it's about race. And I think that's... Well, the three of you have been on this show prior. I no, no doubt. No doubt. But, Just, but, you know, but what I will say... What I, I have not. I have not been on the show. Been, haven't you been in the studio? No. That was, that was the other black girl. Just no, there was six, <laughs> well, there was six of you and overwhelming me in the studio, which was great. But I apologize, Alicia, you are going to come on the show again. Oh, excellent. And, I, and I'm excited for that. I, yeah, I just think it's important to have a wide scope of people, no matter what the, the topic is. Fair enough. But, but you know, again, but I have to play devil's. I'm chasing rate. I'm chasing ratings here. Right, too. So I got to I got to go yeah. where I, you know, there's something. But at the same time, that's you know, I, getting I back to Matt. Matt, I think that's a I think that's a bullshit answer. And, 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 and I, I love you. This is where the awkward comes are, in. I, I think you are awesome, but you're chasing ratings. And that's the, that's the excuse. That's the reason we get, that's what I get from, you know, every other network, right? Or every other podcast. Oh, we're chasing ratings. Well, guess what? If you bring in some new characters to your cast, and I don't mean toss out the old lizard there, because I think he's great Steve, and I fine. think he needs to be there, right? But I think if you add you then ultimately can bring in more viewers right you got to think beyond 
what <laughs> ratings right now like you guys think about the future expansion and growth and honestly your responsibility as a um and i'm not saying just you i'm saying people in positions me. like you right others will be there to help right I think you have a number of people who would love to put their hand up to 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 be a part of this this your production and um, you know do some of the work to take it off of you um, that don't necessarily look like you right so I think it's just about offering that opportunity and I don't think that will come about um, it wouldn't have come about had not Alicia brought it up or you know you had us on here so I well thank prior. You Prior to the pandemic shutting down my studio show, I had Colby Marshall as a weekly correspondent on the show, and it was grooming him to be what he wants to be, and that's a sportscaster, broadcaster kind of thing. I I get it. And you know what? To be honest with you, the light bulb did go off in my head when, when everything was going on with the protests, and I was like, I got I to gotta figure out how I can help in some fashion. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, the current events that. have di- want- di- dictated we- that I do something, and and – yeah, and we, we, we very much appreciate that. I will say in your defense, too, when you first started this thing, Meet the Mats, I was one of the mats. You had Junior was one of the mats. So you did actually have diversity, and you were the only kid on the block that did that. All I'm saying is, and this is less to you and more to the people that are listening, think about keeping it, right? Think about bringing it in and keeping it and making it intentional. Because when you make it intentional and you keep getting reps at it, it becomes more natural. And that's the same, Fair enough. you know, I think with many issues as it, as it relates to race, right? Um, at the end of the day, when you and I are sitting down and talking, when Steve and I are sitting down and talking, we're people, right? It's like Bill Nye, the science guy, and what he came out with. Is race really a, a, a thing? I mean, it's just, it's a pigmentation thing, right? And obviously, because of the history of the world, but particularly the history of our country, we have infused this idea of race being something beyond or other than what it is, right? Um, or we've, cre- we've labeled this this pigmentation of the skin as race. But is it really? Is it really a truth at all? No, and again, I mean, it gets back to what Flemister said about people on the beach trying to get dark. You know, it's right. It makes absolutely right. zero sense when you get yeah. when you break yeah. it down it makes absolutely no sense and we have to do something about it i was gonna say i do we do appreciate that you're doing something about it but to your viewers i just want them to be uh very cognizant that the last few months have been really exhausting for a lot of people especially people of color that you know we've had to watch people that look like us being killed on tv on a almost a weekly basis if not just seeing the replays over and over again so it's been exhausting and I really do appreciate the platform. Um, and I just wanted to become more normalized that, you know, women, people of color, uh, uh, trans community, whatever it is, we are a part of rugby. We're a part of this game. And I think we need to be represented as such, no matter what the topic is. I appreciate that. And also, you know, it's, it's a good thing that you guys are able to or feel comfortable enough talking to me or Steve and calling us out on stuff. And I don't mind that. And I think that's a good thing, you know, because this is all about learning. It's a, it's a process. And I think facilitating the ability to call somebody out or, 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 or voice some different opinions is great. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think that's, that's a good that's thing. How it's supposed to be. That's how it's supposed to be. Right. We are too. We, live we have to get, way. cause that has to happen first. Right. right. So, Right. I'll be that yeah. for 
it's like anything in rugby. It feels uncomfortable before it feels right a lot of the time. Like my first time in a yeah. scrum, very uncomfortable. But now it's, you know, it's just the way it is. And yet you want to play fly half. <laughs> uh, scrum half, I please. Blow out. I'll talk All to right. you guys later. I'll, ke- uh, I'll catch up with you, Matt. Okay. Thanks, Phaedra. Thank you. Boy, I thought she'd never leave. <laughs> All right. So, Stephen, a couple of quick thoughts. Yeah, I, I think we had a bit of a missed opportunity here. I thought this is like part one of a, a thing that should be a part two because we've, um, we've, we've heard about experiences. We've had some great points brought up, but we haven't come to the solutions part. Um, no one has all the answers. I think the solutions lie in, and Fader's mentioned it, Elisa's mentioned it, Nye's mentioned it, it's education and it's opportunity. And so how do we drill down specifically? We're talking about rugby, but obviously we have societal issues. But within rugby... It's the same solutions. It's education opportunity. And perhaps another time we can expand upon some of those possibilities. Alicia? This is great. I think getting the word out there, having understand specific stories um, is really impactful because I think, you know, people think of this as a really big issue, which it is. But if you can drill down um, to what Steve is saying into uh, solutions based on our experiences and making it positive from a player perspective, admin, coach, um, whatever it is, and give them actual tangibles to do, the world's already becoming a better place. So I'm really confident, um, really positive that we're going to end up on, on the right side of this. Not Maybe not soon, but but we will. So I really appreciate the platform. So thank you so much, Matt. You got it. Naya, any final thoughts? Um, just kind of off Steve, just that accountability of as a coach um, to create those opportunities for all colors of athletes and then also as an athlete speaking up for yourself um having more of an open mind of what you could be capable of not where people place you um and i thought this was a great conversation as steve said there's a lot more that we could talk about so if if there's ever an opportunity again created for this to happen i think that would be amazing um and it's important that we have this conversation whether it's uncomfortable or not, as Matt said, it has to be uncomfortable first for it to become comfortable. So thank you guys for having me. Um, It was lovely talking to you and creating that bubble for a conversation. That's a great way to end. Uh, I want to thank all of you for coming on. Your patience with uh, yours truly has been exceptional. Uh, So on behalf of Phaedra Knight, who had to step out earlier, Alicia Washington, Nia Tapper, and Steve Lewis, I'm Matt McCarthy. In New York City for Rugby Wrap-Up, stay safe, everybody.